thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Pull up a rock by the campfire. It's time for that paleo show with your hosts, Sarah Stewart, Steve Hayter, and the man with no shoes, Brett Hill. Welcome to That Paleo Show, making the paleo lifestyle easy and accessible for everyone. I'm Brett Hill, and this week I'm joined by one of my absolute favorite personal trainers and coaches, Duncan Maxwell. Now, I've known Duncan for a very long time. I might have to ask Duncan when I first started training with Duncan, but I'm going to guess it was something in the realms of about 10 years ago, and he's still one of my absolute favorite go-to people when it comes to really breaking down movement of the body, breaking down fitness, um, and getting people fit and in shape. So, Welcome to the show, Duncan. Well, thanks for that. My absolute pleasure, mate, and I absolutely mean it. I love you and I love your stuff, and I always uh, try and point people in your direction when they're looking for someone who can break down what's going on in their body. So, Duncan, you have a wealth of information in this area. You have a really, really cool gym that we'll probably talk about a little bit later on, but how did you get to be where you are now in the health and fitness world? Well, uh, my short answer to people is I'm just brilliant. Uh, the truth of it, however, is probably that I've been doing it a long time. So, uh, it's just something that I've engaged with since I was a, a young tacker and, uh, and, uh, not being the overly studious type at school, uh, I, I passed year 12, but it wasn't for lack of, uh, not doing my homework. So, uh, you know, it was outdoors, it was activities, it was, you know, bike riding and horse riding and motorcycles and downhill skiing and track lawns and, Everything else I could possibly but school work. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I just loved it. And it just sort of carried on through the rest of my life. And uh, it's just always been something that I've really been passionate about, uh, mostly because I love it. I, I just really enjoy movement and, and, and getting better at things. I guess that is the key. Yeah. And, and so what was it that drove you towards fitness in the first place? Like, was it just an organic thing that happened? Were you always pretty fit and healthy and active? Or was there ever a stage where you were not quite as fit and healthy looking as you are right now, Dunk? No, no. I, I was always – I guess the key element, and, and this is kind of what we, we tend to try and instill in our uh, new members or clients or, or uh, trainers that we're working with, is I never concentrated on fitness. And in fact, if you look at the majority of athletes around the world, they don't concentrate on fitness per se either. They may have to increase their fitness a little bit, but it's usually the upskilling of what they have to do for their sport is the mainstay of their activity. And of course, all of us, you know, no matter what our sports are, need to, you know, pound the pavement a little bit, do a bit of jogging, do a bit of bike riding, whatever it happens to be. But it tends to come, you know, a distant second or a distant relative to upskilling so whatever it is we do for for fun or for a a professional career Uh, and that's kind of what I've always done as well as you know it's it's always been in pursuit of a sport or an activity Uh, fitness was just a a lucky byproduct I guess yeah and so for those of you who haven't guessed from the accent already uh, Duncan is from Canada much like my friend Lawrence (laughs) he comes from the other (laughs) side of the world and uh, and I think that's something that the Canadians and the Australians share isn't it like that that love of the outdoors that love of getting outside and being physically fit and active or at least perhaps it used to be yeah it's not so much anymore uh, but I mean it's still better than some places and certainly my hometown uh, in Canada uh, Whistler a lot of people would know Whistler from the uh, from the skiing and uh, had the, uh, of course, the Olympics there in 2010. 
uh, it, it's magical place. You know, we uh, uh, grew up there as, as kids, me and my brother and, and my little sister, and we were all part of the ski programs. And you know, it was a country town at that stage, and you know, it's one of those places that you never lock your doors. Uh, in fact, if somebody did lock our doors, I think we'd be in a lot of trouble because no one would have known where the key was. <laughs> so, uh, so you know, my my parents were very uh, traditional of that time and that culture, where uh, you know. We didn't watch TV, and in fact, we were allowed to watch an hour of TV on a Sunday night. I think us kids were allowed to watch Walt Disney at 6 p.m. on a Sunday. Uh, and other than that, that was that was about it. You know, uh, my mum would be very uh, quick to usher us back outside if we were caught indoors uh, <laughs> if the sun was still shining. So, nice. uh, so a little bit different from what uh, kids are allowed to do these days, of course. Uh, depending on the area, there's certainly some country regional places that uh, are still the same. But, uh, you know, times are different, but uh, we've just got to uh, make sure that uh, the changes are, are positive and, and not dwelling on the fact that uh, things just aren't the same, I guess. Nice. So at some stage along this journey, Duncan, you decided that this physical fitness, this activity stuff was pretty fun, but that actually you could make it a career as well. So, so how did that start for you? Well, that was after uh, coming to a decision that um, being an athlete uh, wasn't going to get me where I needed to be uh, financially. <laughs> so uh, I'd been uh, competing as a martial artist, actually, at that stage um, for a couple of years, I think. And uh, I actually remember the time there was a um, one of my gurus was coming to Adelaide, uh, Dan Inosanto. And, and for those who aren't in the martial arts game, uh, Dan Inosanto uh, was Bruce Lee's best friend. Um, uh, so when Bruce Lee died, Dan took over Bruce Bruce's entire kind of JKD or Jeet Kune Do empire. Now, uh, Dan is my instructor's instructor, so my instructor is Nino Pilla, uh, so he's my Sifu, and, and Dan is my Sigung or grandfather. So I, I remember Dan came to town, and uh, this was going back uh, early 90s, I guess, and I couldn't actually afford to go to the seminar. So I think the seminar back then would have been about $50 or something, uh, pretty cheap compared to now. Uh, but I couldn't afford to do it. So I had to make some decisions in my life to actually, uh, not miss out on things like Dan coming in. Uh, and I had a, uh, uh someone else in the, uh, in, in the martial arts club, uh, was a personal trainer, uh, Chris McGinley, who's still personal training, I believe. So he was certainly one of the, uh, pioneers of personal training here in, uh, Adelaide around that time, uh, well before there was a, an industry. And, uh, so he suggested that I go and, do my course. So, so I did. I ended up going and I think we were the second lot of students through uh, in 1994, 95, somewhere in there. Uh, and uh, the rest, they say, is history. We uh, The course was about 16 weeks full-time back then. Of course, now it's down to about eight weeks part-time. Um, but of course, the learning gets done uh, post-course anyway. So uh, you get out there and you learn. And, and uh, there was so much to learn. You know, what we were teaching and coaching uh, back then is completely different from what it is now. Um, we were certainly very much caught up in, uh, you know, the, the, the ideas of the day, which was still a bodybuilding methodology. Um, we were all taught, uh, to coach that way. And in fact, a lot of people are still taught to coach that way. Uh, we thought that, you know, any weightlifting, uh, was good for athletic performance. Uh, some people knew the difference back then, but very few. And, and certainly we know different now that, um, you know, Training for athletic performance is not just uh, heavy squats or 
or, or deadlifts or certainly not uh, pin-loaded equipment. But, but there's, a, there's a whole entity behind that that can either uh, move you forward or move you backwards. And, and for us, athleticism is not only competing in a sport, but athleticism may be, you know, working as a, a carpenter. You know, you, you're picking up a piece of, uh, big piece of MDMF that's, uh, you know, you're outdoors, you're climbing up a ladder, it's windy. You know, you're having to nail that into the wall somewhere, so you're kind of perched precariously, and, uh, you know, that's athleticism. So uh, so our understanding of what we were doing then, you know, I, I look at some of my programming and some of the program that we generally did back then, and I'm almost embarrassed, but, you know, we didn't know any <laughs> different. Uh, but these days, you know, we're learning so much all the time. Uh, you know, we're not coaching the same as we were five years ago. You know, it's completely different. And, and by the way it's traveling and, and the way the industry is changing and new information, um, we'll, we'll be chain, uh, training people differently in, in five years uh, and then again in 10 years. So it's a, an exciting industry to be in a, because it is changing. It's like the IT industry, I guess. Yeah. Uh, it's fun. And that's one of the things I love about your gym, Duncan, is that every time I've been in there, there's something new going on. <laughs> you know, there, there's a different approach. It's not just going in there and repeatedly doing the same thing over and over. It, it does have that that component of play and that component of variability to it that that not only means that you, I think you get a better workout, but means that it's a whole lot more fun and interesting to go in there. So can you give people a bit of an idea of, you know, what goes on inside your gym and, and I guess how that's different to your standard gym? Well, it's... Uh... It is different. I, I mean, I, I'd like to say that I I, um, I invented all these new ideas and they were all my ideas. But uh, truth be told, you know, I've got my mentors uh, and most of them are overseas. Uh, so I've got a lot of people I work with from America or UK or, or even Asia. And uh, we've seen a, a, a dramatic change uh, in, in the way performance is looked at, as I mentioned earlier. Um, so we've just been trying to Stay hot on the heels of you know who's pioneering stuff uh, in, in Europe and in America, and uh, what we're seeing now is is a lot more body weight control um, and understanding that you really have to get the movements absolutely correct. Um, there's a huge neurological component that uh, we're just starting to understand, and, and you know injuries and and past performances and past skills, uh, the way they were developed could either uh, positively influence your patterning or adversely uh, influence your patterning. So uh, a good example would be if, uh, if somebody had a, a low back injury, uh, but they kept training around that low back injury. Now, they might have been uh, jogging, for example. Now, because that injury uh, caused them a little pain, what they did is they changed their stride. Uh, now, Fast forward two years, what you'll find is that person's no longer in pain, but they're still striding like they were in pain. Uh, and what happens is we find this happens with just about every movement, whether somebody's doing a push-up, a lunge, a squat, an overhead press, uh, riding a bike. Um, so we have all these poor recruitment patterns, um, and all of us have them. You know, All of us have uh, exercised to the point of injury at some time, or we've fallen off our bikes, or we've you know, just got a sore back and, and we've trained through it. Uh, another example would be is if you put a, a pebble in your shoe and you walk around for, for two hours, uh, you take that pebble out of your shoe and you're going to have a hard time not limping for the first little while. I mean, you've got to really concentrate on not limping, even though the pebble's been removed. So this is really a big part of, uh, 
you know, what we're seeing that the, the pioneering uh, gurus out there that are really spending a lot of time on, on teaching us how to correct imbalances in people so we don't further propagate these imbalances. Um, and in terms of that, I mean, there's a lot, I think there's a lot of like learnt bad movement patterns there as well, aren't they? Whether that's from, you know, training using, as you said before, like a, you know, isolation type training or training using, you know, inappropriate movements or whether it's just from, you know, the fact that you sit all day at a desk job and, and your body, you know, your postural muscles have learnt, uh, you know, to fire in a certain way that, that might be a good way of dealing with your desk job, but not necessarily a good way of moving around in the rest of the world. So I think there's a lot of, you know, learnt bad movement patterns. You know, it's, it's often and, you know, I look, always look at the example of I look at my kids and I watch them squat and pick something up and it's amazing how well they do. And I, I go back to learning my squat technique with you, Duncan, and how long it took me to try and get it even remotely close to what my son can just do naturally. And, and you realize that, that we've lost a lot of that natural movement pattern, I think, because of our lifestyles. Is that fair to say? Oh, absolutely fair to say. I mean, a, a good percentage of what we do is combating, as you said, the effects of sitting or the effects of a poor lifestyle. Um, we're seeing lots of injuries now of, of little kids, you know, working with their tablets or, or phones because they're, they're always looking down. So their, their necks are always in compromised positions. And, you know, we'll see kids as young as six or seven, um, with serious hamstring deficit, uh, issues, meaning that they don't have any flexibility in their hamstrings simply because they're, they're constantly looking down at a phone or a and, tablet. And project that forward 10, 20, 30 years. You know, what do you think that's going to mean for our population, Duncan? Well, we, we can see what it's doing because we're dealing with it every day. I mean, um, you talking, uh, people will spend a lot of money, a lot of money to bring themselves out of pain. Um, and you don't really think about it until you're in pain. But um, but uh, we'll, we'll see people, you know, they, they spend a lot of time at work developing their businesses or their job and, you know, their work becomes really important to them and it's chasing that almighty dollar. But the second you can't get out of bed because your, your low back's going on you or your neck's hurting all the time, you're getting headaches and, you know, most people would trade all of that to, uh, to get their health back and we're seeing that a lot. Um, and unfortunately, um, it does get harder, uh, the longer you leave it. Um, but it's fixable. Uh, the unfortunate side is you can't train it away. Um, you've got to really repattern it away. And, and, and really, um, it's all about motor control, not about how many reps you can do or how much weight you can lift or how fast you can run. Uh, these things are all great for fitness, but they're really bad methods for improving things or trying to get healthy when you've become unwell or trying to feel less pain if you're in pain. So, so there's a layered approach that uh, needs to be adhered to. And fitness is a great thing, and it's a wonderful thing, and it's an important thing, but it needs to be uh, the ice cream on top of the cake uh, to say that the, uh, the guts of it needs to be making sure that your system is actually moving well to start with. Uh, and we don't see that being taught a lot. We don't see trainers understanding that a lot these days. It is getting better, uh, but it'll be another 10 years till we see you know, this sort of dialogue is mainstream. I mean, this, this is still foreign to a lot of trainers. Um, but it's changing, and it's changing in a good way. It's just changing slowly. <laughs> and and I know, Doug, can you share my view in terms of you know sometimes as a result of those stresses, there can be some underlying structural and neurological issues as well, and that and that chiropractic can be a beneficial part in in undoing that, and then allowing you to do your work as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you well know that I'm a, a big advocate of, of chiropractic, uh, and, and have been for a long time. We we see great changes. Um, 
and, and as you know, this sort of training uh, helps you do your job. Um, 100%. You know, you, you, you can keep adjusting the same area, you know, that keep whacking somebody's uh, thoracic spine and, and, and doing a good job. But unless they're doing the work to correct the movement patterns that are weakening that area or uh, are pulling the, those ribs out of place, you know, they're, they're, they're going to keep spending money uh, more so than they should. And they're certainly going to uh, not improve as fast as they should. Absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm always happy when I get a referral from you, Duncan, because I know that those people are going to just tend to get better faster. It's great. Well, well, we hear it all the time. And, and, and you know, it's one of my pet peeves where, where we'll send people off or we hear people have gone to a chiropractor and they said, you know, they just keep adjusting the same things over and over. And, you know, I, I think we're just putting cars in their driveway. You know, I, I don't feel much better. And, and my question to them is always, well, well, what are you doing to improve it? You know, what are you what stretching regime are you on? What? Repatterning or strengthening program are you doing? And 100% of the time, these people say, "Oh no, I'm not really doing much." Well, the problem with our society is we we take an approach where we like to pass our problems over to other people <laughs> and expect them to fix them. Um, you know, the the patients are only going to get as well as they're willing to put the effort in as well. So yeah. we find, as we've alluded to, that the, the people that do do the stretching. Uh, do do the conditioning work and and do the repatterning work. You know, there aren't they so much easier to work with from from your point of view? Uh, absolutely. And so, Duncan, I guess we spoke a bit there about the the lifestyle factors that can influence the development of those bad movement patterns. But you know, obviously, being diplomatic about this, but but we have to understand that there can be a a training aspect of developing these bad movement patterns, where you know people are training in a way that is not helping. You know, you spoke about pin loaded weights. You know, we talk about isolated movements on all sorts of machines, and you know these weird gadgets you see on on daytime TV, and you know yeah. there's some really funky, weird movements going on out there that that I think are teaching really bad. Uh, movement patterns, they're teaching, teaching really bad muscle recruitment patterns, they're teaching really bad neurological firing patterns within people's bodies. You know, can we talk a bit about that? Yeah, well, we see this all the time. I mean, it, this is a big part of uh, what we do. Uh, and we'll often get the, um, I mean, we've got a lot of personal trainers and physios and chiropractors that come here as clients. Uh, and the reason they do is uh, because it's new. I, I mean, uh, most people in the healthcare industry understand that this is the way you're supposed to train, but it's not really taught. Um, it, it takes people like ourselves who have been in the industry for a long time, who have gone out and learned it, but it, it's very difficult to go out there and go, I'm going to do a course in it, because it, you know, it, it's only just starting to exist now. But um, really what we find is if I go to a, a big box center, and I won't name any, but um, you know, it, it's kind of like watching a Friday the 13th movie for me. I, I see a lot of people spending a lot of time and are diligent in trying to improve themselves, and I actually see them hurting themselves. Hmm. I see equipment that is so outdated that most of us in the industry who have been you know, uh, researching this stuff for 15, 20 years, we know it's bad. We know leg extensions and leg press and, and uh, uh, Smith machines, you know, for the most part, are probably going to do you more mischief than, than good. Uh, where people are still confusing what needs to be done for a sport, which is the art of bodybuilding, which is a sport. Mm. Um, but it shouldn't be used in a lot of ways for help. And I'm not saying that they're completely black and white. We use a lot of build, bodybuilding methodology here, and it's great. But I'm saying that you're going to find a lot of people understand exercise, 
but they don't understand movement. And this is a lot of personal trainers out there. So what they're doing is they're really reading through their list of exercises that they can give their prospective client on a, on a given day. But they don't really understand the nuances behind what happens when that person lunges, what happens when that person rotates through their lunge or isn't rotating through the lunge or isn't loading through that posterior chain on that front leg and able to recruit glutes in the back leg. Uh, and they just, they're, they're not seeing the forest for the trees sometimes. And I'm not saying this stuff is overly difficult, but it's not, just not really taught very well at the moment. So, uh, and this is where our industry needs to change and needs to grow and needs to develop. Is we need to do a better job of actually coaching the new trainers who are coming in that, you know, if you give somebody a lunge or a squat and they're not doing it quite uh, up to par and then you start putting weights on them, um, you're in fact hurting them. Uh, yeah. And the sad thing is they're very rarely going to hurt themselves doing those squats and lunges. Um, over time, they, they will start wearing and tearing. And, and what they'll do is they'll go home and, uh, and they'll whip out the vacuum cleaner and, and all of a sudden their back will go. And, and they'll walk around telling everyone that they hurt their back vacuum cleaning, uh, which is just not the case. And, you know, and what, the, what I think they sometimes don't understand, Duncan, is how much of a great workout they can do without adding the weight. I mean, I can remember being in your gym uh, with a broomstick doing a squat, you know, at a time when I was able to squat, you know, a reasonable amount of weight at that time. I couldn't tell you. I have no idea what the numbers would be. But, you know, I was able to squat a reasonable amount of weight at that time. And I can remember being in your gym doing squats with a broomstick and battling and sweating and aching and, and yeah. having a phenomenal workout just because I was recruiting and firing and being very conscious of the technique and the way I was supposed to be doing it, not because I was lifting extra weight, right? And, and this is what happens when you don't let that organic system compromise its pattern. Is it, all of a sudden you're, you're, you're working much, much harder, um, and we see this all the time, uh, especially with athletes coming in. You know, a, a good percentage of the time, we'll get these, uh, you know, top of the line athletes coming in, and we regress them a long way. And, and again, sometimes <laughs> these athletes can be squatting, you know, over 200 kilos and deadlifting, you know, huge amounts of weight. Um, but what we have to do is bring their patterning right back. And you know, most of the time they're, they're, they're quite hesitant. You know, the, the, the last thing an athlete wants is, is to go backwards in their training program. And, uh, you, you know, if they're really impatient, sometimes they might not last. They'll, they'll say, you know, this just isn't for me and off they go. Uh, the ones that do last though, and the majority do, they find that by repatterning and going through, what they're doing is they're making themselves bulletproof. Mm. The reason why they're finding that these body weight exercises are so hard is because they're not being allowed to compromise. They're having to pattern correctly. The right muscles are firing in the right order, but this is going to take time to actually develop this. Once they do, though, wow. And you, you see athletes that have been, um, you know, trying to break a PB for a while or stuck in an area or keep getting injured. You know, we get a lot of football players with hamstring uh, issues, for example. Uh, and But you've got to do the work. You've got to have the patience. You've got to do the work. And again, uh, for us, it's not just athletes. It's it's moms and dads. It's grandmas and grandpas. It, it, it's people that like to be weekend warriors. They, they like to be active. They like to be fit. But again, you need to be able to coach, be coached, uh, and coach if you're a trainer that movement correctly. And if you can, wow, the, the results you can get from your your clients and, and uh, members and patients is is really second to none. And it's it's a slower approach. 
but much faster down the down the straight by miles. Yeah, and and long term results. Yeah, so oh, huge. Yeah. So, Duncan, let's get a bit fun. Let's maybe even get a bit controversial here because I'm going to ask you about two forms of exercise that probably a lot of people listening to this show uh, are doing already and, and you probably yep. can already guess what I'm going to ask you. But, you know, MoveNet and CrossFit, yep. what are your thoughts on those two? Uh, I really like MoveNet. Um, I, I didn't like that they uh, uh, secured the, the name Move Naturally. I think they trademarked it. I think that was a bit, uh, bit OTT. But uh, I love the training. The, the training is really good. Um, for me, I, I think sometimes the guys can get a bit too purist. I, I think there's there's places for climbing trees and there's places for, you know, carrying rocks through rivers. And I love that stuff. I think that's great. In fact, we've, I've got a friend of mine coming out to run a workshop uh, here in Adelaide uh, who used to work for MoveNet. Uh, so he'll be here in October. Um Great stuff. I think it's really important, you know, especially grip strength and, and being able to run on uneven ground and, you know, growing up in a, a very mountainous area, you know, we, we, we used to run up trails and, and, you know, I think that's, you know, very important for runners, especially for runners who only run on pavement. You, you've got to get off that pavement and, and onto uneven ground to really develop your entire nervous system to, to make yourself bulletproof. Um, so I love the stuff. I think it's really, really good. Um, I do see people going super crazy with it and, you know, they'll never walk into a gym again. And I'm not so sure about that, but I do like the training methodology. And, and funnily enough, CrossFit is very similar for me. Uh, I love the idea of CrossFit. Uh, CrossFit helped us change our methodology a little bit. It, it certainly brought uh, uh, Olympic lifting more to my attention. We were doing a little bit up to that stage. You know, it's about 2007, I think, we started looking at CrossFit seriously. Um and so I went off and did my Olympic lifting certification and, and the rest of it. And, but having, you know, seven, eight years down the track now and, and having done many, many kettlebell certifications and, and done my Olympic lifting certification and work with Max Del Sante, uh, who's a silver medalist, Commonwealth Games. Uh, he's got a very good club here in Adelaide and some of the guys at uh, weightlifting areas. You can't race that stuff. You know, it, it's very difficult. I mean, if you're if you're clean and pressing and, and you're racing a clock, you know, I'm not so sure. Uh, we, we can see elite athletes doing that. Uh, my problem with CrossFit is people are training like elite athletes who aren't elite athletes. And the problem with mm. training like an elite athlete is, and, and we train a lot of elite athletes here, is that somewhere along the line, you have to make a decision to leave health behind at least a little bit. There's yeah. not an elite athlete in the world that doesn't at some point have to compromise good joint health or just good natural health in pursuit of their goal. And that's fine because a conscious decision was made. I've done it, you know, as a martial artist at some point I had to decide, you know, if I wanted to keep continuing, it wasn't really healthy for me. You know, getting punched in the head or kicked in the head is not healthy. <laughs> I chose to do it anyway. It was a conscious decision. My problem with CrossFit is people are making these unconscious decisions to really play around with their joint health uh, and risk high-level injury that we see in, in uh, high-level sport. Uh, but they're not aware that they're doing it. They think they're actually training for health and, and to get healthier. So, so there's CrossFit gyms and there's CrossFit gyms. You know, we've yeah. seen some CrossFit gyms do a real good job, uh, not many. Not many really understand biomechanics that well. Um, if you go to an average CrossFit coach and start talking even baseline biomechanics, you're going to lose most of them pretty quickly. 
Um, I think CrossFit's a great thing. I hate the stopwatch. I think that's the long and short of it for me. Nice. Uh, we still use a lot of CrossFit methodology here. Um, we never race anything. Um, again, if you look at the CrossFit games, the injuries that the elite <laughs> guys had, I mean, th- these, this is the top of the line, the people that are the you know, best athletes in the world, they call them. You know, that they had more injuries in the last CrossFit Games than I've ever seen in my whole life, you know, over a weekend. Yeah. And these are the best people. So the rest of us are probably going to fare worse again, I'd say. Yeah, and that makes sense. Now, Doc, we've only got a couple of minutes left, but there's one more thing I want to ask you about because it's something you do at your gym and it's quite fun and it's quite unusual. But you do lots of different animal movements at your gym, Duncan. So tell us about those. Well, the animal movements has been around for a long time, of course. You know, we used to do it a lot in uh, martial arts training, and uh, I'm sure most uh-huh. of us did it. As we used to do it in primary school. Yeah, bear <laughs> crawls and crab crawls and, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, we base classes around it. Uh, if anyone's really interested in, uh, in, in animal work, uh, Mike Fitch is a guy we work with. He, he runs Animal Flow. He's somebody we've been working with for, uh, for quite a long time, and Man, it's just like anything else. It's just like Olympic lifting. You think you've got a bear crawl, and then you you actually try and learn how to do a bear crawl correctly. And wow, hard. Very, very difficult. And I tell you what, if you've never done a bear crawl before, and you think bear crawl is going to be easy, give it a go. Because <laughs> it's way harder than you think, isn't it? It is. I mean, people can cruise up and down, and uh, and especially if you're reasonably athletic already, and, and, and they'll find it okay. And then you say, well, okay, that was a, an okay bear crawl. But try this bear crawl. And uh, just like you found with the squat, there's squats, and then they're squatting properly, you know. Uh, and they're different beasts. They're completely different beasts. And this just comes down to, again, making sure biomechanically we're, we're doing the right thing. Uh, we're patterning correctly. We're getting the balance. Uh, we're getting the symmetry. We're getting the timing. We're getting the coordination. All these things are actually working in our favor, and we're, we're not perhaps just using speed or load to, to hide our, uh, our uh, weaknesses. So, uh, so we do a lot of this, and, and this is to help people. We do a lot of it with our elite athletes, and again, we'll find people who, football teams, who will come in, and, and we'll do 15 minutes of animal flow, and these guys are, you know, you know, pre-season, all getting ready to go, and 15 minutes, and they're stuffed. Um, but it's fun. It is a lot of fun. It's something that you can add to your training that adds a lot of elements uh, adds mobility and coordination and all these other things that I've talked about and it's not the same old thing all the time there's a lot of skills involved with it so it's uh, important to learn it correctly but uh, you see a lot of people smiling in an a- animal flow class and it's, uh, it is a good hoot and it's, uh, <laughs> it's something that can uh, you know, again, as you mentioned, bringing the fun back to fitness, I don't think that's something that as a whole we do as a culture very well, we, we treat fitness as a very serious adult thing and uh, I think it's a shame. I think we should uh, be having more fun with it. it. It is lots of fun, although I must admit those inchworms with my steel hamstrings weren't heaps of fun, but, but we got there. So, Duncan, thank you so much for coming on today. Um, it been a for, pleasure. For everyone who wants to find out more, which I'm sure is most of you, uh, you can check out Duncan at theenergyclinic.net, and you can find The Energy Clinic on Facebook, so just have a search for them there. So until next week, join the conversation on Facebook. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes. Join our newsletter list at thatpaleoshow.com and let's help to grow the paleo tribe worldwide. Join us next week on That Paleo Show. 
This has been a production of TheWellnessCouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on Facebook.com forward slash TheWellnessCouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.